All right, Krishna, everyone, this is Achuta Bhava from Nightlight Astrology. It is Bhakti Wednesday again, so today I am taking a question from the audience. This one is pretty straightforward and simple, but the answer is not. Uh, it's actually one of the more controversial sort of philosophical issues, even within uh, the tradition of Bhakti. Different scholars have uh, debated this point, especially um, in recent times. But uh, So I'll do my best to give an answer, but the answer to this question is sort of like laying out the, the terrain of an ongoing debate. So the question is simple. The question is, does the soul fall? So one of the things that you hear people talk about when they talk about bhakti yoga or any kind of yoga is the idea that the soul gets entangled with materiality to the point that it forgets its own nature. It forgets that it's an aspect or part of God and it cycles through birth and death and rebirth in different forms until it decides slash remembers uh, its own nature and then begins a path of liberation from entanglement in the material world or something like that. So I'm just sort of, you know, making it as simple as I can. Uh, <clears throat> the question then is, so how does the soul come to forget its own nature? Is it just... Is it just, has it always been that way? Is it born that way? Is it created that way? Or, you know, something like that. Or, or um, was it once in a perfect state understanding itself and somehow fell down or forgot? You know, something like that. So the answer to this question is sort of like, um, well, people debate this pretty hotly. You'd be surprised at the raging debates that go on within uh, Vaishnav theologic, the, uh, theological circles about this very question. Um, to me, there's probably an answer that is m the best answer that I've ever heard is a practical answer. And so I'll present that answer first, which I think is sort of the answer, regardless of whether you end up thinking that the soul fell from some realized state and forgot its own nature, or if you don't think that that's the case. Uh, this answer still to me holds up on either side. And that's the, that's why this is the one that I sort of go to. And you, this is not an answer, by the way, that is, um, you know, unique to bhakti yoga. This is an answer that actually uh, might even come from uh, the Buddhist tradition. But the answer is sort of like, it doesn't, if you get shot in the leg by an arrow, right? And, uh, the, the most immediate and important thing is how to get the arrow out of my leg, right? Or how to heal and treat the arrow that I've just been wounded by. That is the, the most and really sort of the only important thing, right? Uh, in this little um, analogy. You wouldn't get hit in the leg by an arrow and say, well, before I react with pain or try to remedy the situation, I ought to figure out who shot the arrow and why, right? If you think about just the physical reaction that you would have by getting struck in the leg with an arrow, it's a terrible thought and image, but like your reaction would be, would basically be, how do, what do I do about this? Not where did it come from and why? That might come later, or there may be room for that later or something, but the most relevant thing is sort of like taking care of your wounded leg. So similarly, sages who have been asked this question in the Vaishnav tradition have said similar things. And they've said, look, 
the the most important thing because it's really sort of high level and and very difficult question for our limited minds to wrap its our our head around how did we come to be in this condition especially when you're thinking about eternity and the question is really sort of a time-bound question. It's like, at what point in time did we come to be in this condition? It, it's a, um, it's like a, a question about how an eternal being came to take on a, a temporal, like a linear time-bound condition. And so we immediately think, well, there must have been a point in time at which that happened and so on and so forth. So rather than dealing with the complexities of all of, of, all of that, which often will just confuse people or cast doubt over the actual process of yoga as a living experience, as a, as a sadhana, as a daily uh, part of life, which is really like saying, if I got so distracted by who and why the arrow, who shot it and why the arrow got lodged in my leg, like I would just bleed out, you know? So uh, many sages have sort of said like, yes, there's, there's, you know, there's an answer to this question, but it's probably more important to just take the arrow out of your leg, which in this case would be recognizing that what matters is that we're suffering. Um, in this world, we we suffer from not re remembering or knowing. Remember even is a problematic word because it's a word that conjures up a sense of time, a time-bound uh, quality. So, but be, we we suffer in this world by by virtue of becoming identified with the constant cycles of flux and change. It's not that the cycles of flux and, and flux and change are evil. In fact, in the Bhakti Yoga tradition, they are described as God's energies. So they're divine energies. But it's that our identification with them, right? It's like getting losing our sense of identity in the cycles of change, in the flowing river of impermanence that creates suffering. The soul suffers when it does that. And so the path of yoga is like, what we're saying is that when you get identified in that way with the cycles of time and illusion and suffering, the most important thing is to just to pull that arrow out of your leg, right? How do you do that? Well, that would be why the, we have sadhana. We have all of these um, prescriptions for living and lifestyle and um, not just that, but we have the actual uh, practices which are designed to illuminate our consciousness and remind us of our divine eternal nature. Um, remind, again, is a funny thing because remember, it's like the soul is experiencing identification with uh, the, the appearance of time and change and flux. And so you can describe the understanding of your own true nature as a kind of remembering. But it, even that word can be problematic because then it's like, well, at what point did I forget? This is why I, I think, I've just thought about this. My, this is probably why Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita says that I am both remembrance and forgetting. Um, so, and, and there's much more that can be said about, about that even. That's an interesting statement. What does that even mean? You know, and, and I've, uh, I think that's one of my favorite and most esoteric or, or sort of enigmatic um, passages in the Bhagavad Gita when, when Krishna says that I'm both remembrance and, and forgetfulness, basically. Um, but anyway, so the first answer is like, if you're, if you're spending a lot of time wondering about how souls fall or if souls fall and if so, when and how and all of that, 
probably the more important and immediate answer is, look, you've got an arrow in your leg. It's called identification with the fluctuations of your body, your bank account, your, your thumbs up or thumbs down on social media, and your sense of peace or happiness or well-being uh, gets thrown off alignment because of this identification. And that's the pain. That's the source of the, the trouble in a sense. That's, that's like the thesis of, uh, you know, a lot of Eastern philosophical traditions and not just that they're as hermeticism, Platonism, uh, and the Western esoteric tradition shares some of those sentiments and, and, and thoughts in common, uh, some of the same philosophical schools that underlie astrology. Uh, because what is astrology describing the fluctuations of, of time and the, the ones that the seasons of that we will and why so that we can avoid while we are walking through them getting identified with them uh, so that's answer one the second answer is you have basically two schools and i'll try my best to summarize them although it's an incredibly nuanced and um high level you know theological conversation within the realm of vaishnavism you have some people who believe that the soul fell at, uh, you know, for, for one reason or another, which is sort of like saying um, it's above, it may be in some ways above the pay grade of the rational intellectual mind to understand how an eternal being could come to be identified with the, um, the material energy. But for one reason or another, it chooses to do so. I would think of this answer a bit like this, and this has always made sense to me. And if this, you know, I don't feel like I would die on a hill over any of this, by the way, I really, I feel like answer number one is that's my answer. And like the, the benefits of yoga to me in relation to identification with these cycles is self-evident because of the, what it's done to my life and the practice itself. And it's, it's immediate feedback in my psyche. So that's, to me, it's like, I'm, I'm happy to let that be a big riddle, this question to be a big riddle for myself. Um, but I do have an answer, a working answer. The first one, again, is like, well, they, the soul falls somehow or another. But fall is almost has like a, a sense of penalty behind it. And I think it's probably better to think of it as a choice, that the soul is endowed with freedom. It's a, it's a free agent. And alignment with the totality or larger body of God, so to speak, is an ongoing choice. It's like uh, like in the way that the Taoist sages talk about living in a fluid alignment with Tao. So when one decides through their own free will to turn their attention somehow uh, away from that alignment, suddenly the experience is that of time, duality, the material realm, etc., which is still a, a kind of reflection of the divine world and the divine intelligence and the same divine presence is still here, but it's fleeting and shadow-like and sort of illusory. It's real, but it's illusory. So there's a choice that's made. And in that choice, there's mercy so that when you choose to somehow come into this world and sort of explore what it's like to be a part or or to turn your consciousness away from uh, identification in the body of God, so to speak, uh, then you get to have these choose your own adventures in this world where the feeling is one of relative separation. And it's just, it's like, it's a like an AI realm per, created, provided, built in specifically 
because it, it wouldn't make sense for it not to be here if souls had free will to choose alignment or not. So that explanation makes some kind of sense to me. And that's a way of thinking about it as opposed to thinking about like, well, you know, I, I stubbed Methuselah's toe, you know, and so Methuselah kicked my bottom out of the pearly gates and I came down to the earth or something. Uh, so um, <clears throat> but the answer that's more compelling to me personally, and again, I don't know if I'm right about this, and this is part of the, so so some Vaishnav theologians will say, yes, we we sort of fell or chose to, to be here in this sort of errant, misguided way. Um, and, you know, so then remembrance, returning, going home, these metaphors all make a kind of sense within that uh, philosophical framework. Uh, the, the, the jiva, the soul, is also in this realm called the tatasta shakti, which means the marginal energy of God. So it's like a category of being. And the nature of the soul from this standpoint is um, that it, it's kind of like got two feet uh, one foot in two worlds, I should say one, two feet, one foot in each world, the spiritual and the material. And that, um, it, it, like it, depending on how it's orienting its consciousness, it has the ability to turn and be identified with the material energy or to turn and be identified with the spiritual energy. And, um, sort of similar to the last explanation, but from this standpoint, it would say that, the soul as the Tatasta Shakti has never been anywhere but here in this, you know, material multiverse, just moving through different forms and experiences. And <clears throat> that for the jiva to the soul to uh, turn toward its spiritual nature and transmigrate, so to speak, out of this world uh, requires that it comes into contact with the grace and mercy of, um, you know, mantras, gurus, enlightened beings, or it just comes into reception of, of grace somehow. And the, and the grace is, is here and moving in, in very interesting ways and not in ways that are based on like merit. It's, it's not described as like a merit, merit based system. Um, uh, that doesn't mean karma isn't real, but it's it's not like well, if I do enough good things, then suddenly I I get like a uh, ticket out of here or something. From this standpoint, in the it's like we're fish and we've always been in water and we've never known anything but water, but we also have it in our nature to poke our heads above the water, sprout wings, and fly. Uh, it but somehow it takes like <clears throat> a string of experiences and and grace. Uh, for us to be led to poke our head above the water. And it's um, you know, mostly, as I understand the theologians who explain this, it is mostly through coming into contact with the Holy Dharma, which means coming into contact with sages and people who are walking this path or even avatars who come down or, and you know, like sort of like a bodhisattva or the, even the transmission of the teachings and coming into contact with them is like this, this, um, uh, this this thing that starts changing the karma such that the soul will by grace and being in contact with these um, teachings or enlightened beings come to the surface and the fish pokes its head up above the water and then it can transmigrate out if it wants to 
that is always that explanation to me makes a lot more sense intuitively. Um, but I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I, um, I think that I think I go back to answer number one. It's like at the end of the day, do we, did we fall? There's an arrow in the leg. I know that. And it tends to happen when I get identified with the material energy to the point where I forget my spiritual nature and that the salve, the healing, the help is always in just taking that arrow out and bandaging myself, which usually means, um, you know, practicing yoga. And as I go along, I experience that, that healing as sort of more important than obsessing over who shot me and, and why, <laughs> which most of the time, like even in these very interesting theological conversations, I don't necessarily find that any of those conversations or the answers on either side are, are as helpful to me as sitting down in the morning and connecting with God in the heart. Like whatever, you know, not saying that, that like divinity isn't present in theology or the intellect. It's just bhakti is like, once you start getting into that devotional heart-centered space and you can, you're tending to your own heart, you see its fruit coming into relationships with other people, so on and so forth. It's like, well, what else is there but that really? Um, and if there's understanding that comes to me in time, it's probably because I'm doing that and not because I'm, you know, figuring out these answers, which then somehow justify the heart. Do you know what I mean? So Krishna says that for those who, you know, follow him with devotion, he illuminates them from within and gives them knowledge from within. So I've also heard a number of different people say that, you know, gurus, gurus, guru has taught that the more that you're on the path and just treating your wound, the wound of the world, the wound of others, compassion is being cultivated, love, tenderness of heart um, through your bhakti, that insights about this question, and probably not just one, but many start to arise and a kind of understanding emerges that it's in some ways, it's not, it, it's better than the intellectual and theological conversation. So I don't know, for whatever that's worth. One of my favorite teachers says, uh, it's above my pay grade. <laughs> but either way, I don't think that a condemning approach, like we fell because we're bad and we have to get somewhere to be, because we got to be good and get somewhere, that's really not the paradigm that's helpful. I think understanding the soul's choice, understanding that this world um, is a beautiful place that facilitates learning um, and, uh, and, and love, as uh, as well as being a place where you can get lost, that's probably important to think of it that way, not just as like a fallen world. You know, it's not. It can be that, but it's so much more. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling now. I hope that this was helpful. Hope you guys are having a good day, and that this, you know, simulates good good thought. Um, and uh, and remember, you know, at the, at the end of the day, uh, talking and thinking about bhakti itself about the subject matter is devotion itself. I mean, it, it's, it's very uplifting to even be considering such subjects. We should feel grateful that we, you know, it's, we're, we're lucky really to be able to even think about such beautiful topics. They're, they really are beautiful to think about. Um, even if, you know, we don't always feel like we have the answers or feel like there's a lot at stake in them. Uh, 
don't let them steal your prayer and peace every day either. It's really important to keep that going because then these conversations can be really sweet. They can be complement to the prayerful lifestyle. Anyway, okay, that's all I've got for today. I hope you guys are doing well and I'll look forward to uh, more next week. All right, Krishna.